You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. So, according to the Office of National Statistics, one of my all-time favourite offices, my average life expectancy is 86 years. I'm 45 years old, so I have perhaps on average 41 more years to go. But I have a 1 in 4 chance of reaching age 96 and an 11.8% chance of living to age 100. And what about me? Uh, Okay, Bex, I'm too polite to ask, so I've guessed your age. You have an average life expectancy of 90 and a 22.5% chance, that's like double mine, of reaching age 100. Whoa, Simon. How on earth do you know on this? And why are you telling me? The ONS... That is the Office of National Statistics. Uh, correct. Has a webpage uh, called, titled, How Long Will My Pension Need to Last? Which tells you all this stuff based upon your age and your gender. And uh, you need to consider this, at least, because one day, probably, you're going to have to stop working and find some other way to fund what is likely to be your longest ever holiday. And so today, we are talking about one of my all-time favourite topics, pensions. Pensions! I'm just going to put it out there. Pensions are great. Pensions are fab, but pensions are complex. And a little knowledge will help us all have a much better pension experience, and therefore, probably... A better retirement too. So from what you've told me so far, I might live to the age of 90. On average, yes. So when can I stop working? Well, you can stop working whenever you like, but most people can't afford to stop working until they get much closer to, if not all the way to, state retirement age, which at the moment, and this is being recorded in 2022, in the UK is age 66. There are a couple of key ages worth knowing here. So at the moment, the earliest most people can access their pensions from is age 55. That is planned to rise to age 57 from the year 2028. And from then on, the earliest that people can access their pension will be 10 years before the state pension age, which itself is due to increase to age 68 at some point between 2037 and 2046, they're still working on exactly when. So before we get too bogged down with the detail, can you explain some of the terminology to us, Simon? Pensions, retirement, state retirement age, what do these actually mean and what others do we need to know about? Good call, Bex. Let's uh, lay some foundations. In today's society, most people don't work for their whole lives. They stop working at some point. And that is what we call retirement. It's the point when you're no longer employed or self-employed, no longer earning a wage or generating an income. Now, this poses a problem because people still need money to live. And a pension, this tool, this product about money we've spoken about in the past, is the main solution to the problem of where does the money come from? A pension, then, is an arrangement which gives you money in retirement. Fantastic. You don't have to earn it. Brilliant. But you do need to have saved it beforehand. 
And there are three main types of pension. There is the state pension, there are occupational pensions, and there are also personal pensions. Okay, Simon, I know you want to. Tell me about the different types of pensions. Thank you for that question, Rex. Right, let's start with the state pension. It has been around in one form or another since 1908. Now, during our lives, our working lives anyway, we pay tax. In fact, you pay some tax at all stages in life, really. You pay income tax when you're working. You pay value-added tax. That's VAT, when you buy stuff. You might pay insurance tax when you've got house insurance or car insurance. National insurance, which isn't called a tax, but kind of is. Stamp duty when you buy things like houses. Beer duty when you buy things like beer. Fuel duty, and the list goes on and on. Of all the tax that the government gathers together, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, about 10% of it then goes to pay the state pension. So, for someone who has earned a full state pension, and that currently means they will have paid at least 35 years worth of national insurance, perhaps when they were working or earning, or also you get credits, for example, when you're raising children, you get credits towards national insurance. They will get a full state pension, which is currently almost £9,400 per year, direct from the government. Now, £9,400 per year doesn't give you a wildly extravagant lifestyle, and so most people want at least a little bit more than that. And that's where the other types of pension come in. So, next one, occupational pension schemes. These are set up by employers to provide a future income in retirement for their employees. Now, the best type of occupational pension scheme is a final salary scheme or a final salary defined benefit scheme. Some employees of big global employers, as well as doctors, teachers, police, for example, they have this kind of pension. And the maths goes something a bit like this. For every year that you work for your employer, you accrue, you build up, 180th of your salary as pension. That 180th is the accrual rate. So if you work for 20 years, you would have accrued 20 80ths of your salary. If you're good at maths, 20 80ths is a quarter. So if your salary was, let's say, £40,000, the maths is easier with round numbers, when you stopped working, that was your final salary, then you would earn a quarter of this, or £10,000 a year, as a pension. And you'd then get that on top of your state pension. So you said that was the best type of occupational pension scheme. Is there another type? Yeah, there is. So those final salary pension types, they're really expensive for the employer. So a newer, but to be honest, slightly less generous and slightly less expensive version has become more common in recent years. And this is called a career average scheme. It's sometimes called CARE, C-A-R-E, Career Average Revalued Earnings. And the NHS and teachers' pensions, for example, have moved onto this career average type defined benefit scheme. And there are various different ways, actually, of working out how much a career average pension will give you. But broadly speaking... Instead of multiplying your number of years worked by your final salary, which is the amount you earn in the last year of working, usually, instead, 
it's multiplied by your average salary over all the years that you've worked. So in the early years, you probably aren't earning as much. Well, those numbers get increased by inflation, so they kind of keep their real value. But generally, people get promoted and they have more experience. and They're worth more, so they get paid more in later life. So a career average scheme will give you a smaller pension usually, but still a good pension compared to a final salary scheme. And you might end up with a bit of both. And then you mentioned one more type of pension, personal pensions. Yeah, okay. So with both state pensions and occupational pensions, both kinds of them, once they start paying out, you're going to have this guaranteed income for life, and it's often growing by inflation, not always all of inflation when inflation is high. You pay money into this pension through your tax, state pension, or through your salary, occupational pensions, And the amount that you're going to get out of it at the end can be calculated as you go along, depending on how many years you've worked and what your salary is. But with a personal pension, it's a very different type of pension arrangement. Instead, you choose how much money to put into the pension and how often, and you choose how it's going to be invested. Your hope then is that that money will grow in value, both because you add more to it in the future... Oh, and your employer can actually pay money into your personal pension as well. And then as the underlying investments also hopefully grow in value. And then one day, and usually this is the point when you come to retire and need to find that other income from somewhere, you will have built up a pot of money in your pension. It could be £10,000, could be £100,000, could be a million pounds if you started early and saved lots. It all depends on how much you put in and how long you put it in for and how much it grows by. And then when you need that money to live off, you can start taking it directly out of your pension fund to then go and spend. I know there's lots more detail we need to cover, even in just this one episode. But can you explain why we're talking about such a complex topic as pensions so early in the season? Aren't there more fundamental issues to discuss first? I've put this pensions topic in early because for most people a pension will be the very first kind of exposure they have to any form of financial planning and it will almost certainly be the one that they have for the longest. It's been in the law since 2012 that all employers have to enter their employees into some kind of pension scheme and by 2017, so we're talking five years ago now, All employers, irrespective of how big an employer they were, had to comply with those regulations. And over that time, around 10 million people have been put into such pension arrangements. So not only will all of our listeners be putting money towards their state pensions, unless, of course, they're already retired, but all of them who are in employment will also likely be paying into either an occupational pension or a personal pension through their work. And at the start, you mentioned that I might live up to age 100. So if I retire at state retirement age... Which for you will be probably 67 or even 68, Bex. Then I could spend up to 30 years in retirement living off pensions. Exactly. That is why it could be your longest holiday ever. 30 years of not having to work, not being able to work potentially. But also 30 years when you have to find money to live off... And that is why pensions are really important. When you described pensions earlier, they sounded to me like a kind of savings account. 
So why are pensions good compared to other ways of saving money? Tax. Tax is the reason. And you'll learn a bit about tax as I explain. I'll use a personal pension as an example. It's the easiest one to get your head around, really, but all pensions are tax efficient to some degree. So the government recognises that we all need to save towards our own retirement because in reality, they don't have enough money coming in by way of taxes to give us all a high income in retirement. So they want to encourage us to save for our own retirement. And they do this by offering tax relief on pensions. So what is tax relief? If you were to earn the national average wage, which is about £30,000 a year, then you would be a basic rate taxpayer. You'd be paying about 20% tax or 21% in Scotland, because we like to be more complicated up here, on the majority of your income anyway. So imagine that £1,000 of those earnings, on which you have just paid £200 in tax, and I'm going to ignore national insurance for now because it makes the maths a bit more complex. You've earned £1,000, you've paid £200 in tax, and you go home with £800 after tax. So you decide, I'm going to save this up for retirement. It's in my budget for my long-term future. Now, alternatively, you could decide to join your employer's pension scheme. And you take that £800, and instead of earning it as income and saving it, you put it into the pension. Now, the tax man, it's HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, rewards you for being sensible and gives you back your tax. So your pension fund goes from having £800 put into it to having £1,000 put into it. Now, in addition, your employer is also obliged, if you've joined their pension scheme, to put in at least another £600 into your pension, and some will give you even more than that. So your £800 in your pocket has become your 1000 plus their 600 that's £1,600 overnight. That's a 100% increase. It's free money. Now, it's not all rosy. The big downside is that you then have to leave your money in the pension until you're at least 55 and probably 58 by the time you get there, Bex. So you can't put all your money into pension. You've got to save some to live off and for your shorter term goals. But when you do get to the point you're going to retire, the point you're going to spend your pension, here's what happens. You're allowed to take 25%, that's a quarter, of your pension money out totally tax-free. Now, even if your pension hasn't grown, and we really do hope it will over time, your £1,600 that's gone in, which cost you £800, will give you £400, that's a quarter, tax-free. So far, so good. Then the remainder, there's £1,200 left behind. When you take that out, whether all in one go or in bits and pieces, it's going to be taxed as income. Now, if you're still a basic rate taxpayer when you come to retire, then you're going to pay 20% tax on that. 20% of £1,200 is £240. If you take that £240 off the £1,600 you started with, you're left with... £1,360 in your pocket after tax. But it only cost you £800. That's a huge gain just because of the tax relief. And 
If your pension does happen to grow while you're investing it, any growth that you achieve is totally tax-free while it's in the pension. And then let's talk about the very end piece. If you happen to die, which will probably happen to most of us at some point, and there's still money left in that personal pension, you haven't spent it all yet, you can pass it on to somebody else, your spouse, your children, your friends, your family or charity, totally free of inheritance tax. And actually sometimes free of any tax at all. Wow. Apart from the complexity, I can see that pensions might be a really good idea for lots of people. It feels like there are lots of other aspects to pensions that we need to understand to make best use of them. What else do we need to cover today? We've spoken a bit in the past about goals and planning for the future. One goal that everybody should have is to make sure that they have enough money to be able to retire one day. And so using a pension to meet that goal is a good objective. But it still needs to be balanced with other priorities. Certainly paying the bills and the rent or the mortgage, saving for Christmas, saving for holidays, buying a new car occasionally if you can afford to do that, or putting a deposit down on a house. Whilst saving into a pension is the most tax efficient thing that you can do, it can't be used to meet most of those kind of goals. You need other solutions for them, and we'll look at those in future episodes. You also need an idea of how much to save into a pension. There's no point in saving so much during your working life that you have nothing left to live off now, but then far too much when you get to retirement. And so we'll talk about this idea of lifetime cash flow modeling, trying to plan your financial future in a later episode. But for now, maybe the first thing to do is look at some of the information that comes through from your pension provider. And that should include a rough idea of what your pension might be worth when you reach retirement age. They call it an illustration of future benefits. The next consideration then is, well, what do I put into my pension now I've got this cash sitting there. All pension providers will offer you a selection of investment funds. And we're going to talk about investment funds in two episodes time. And then some listeners will need to know not how to put money into their pension and what to put it in, but actually they're at the stage of needing to know how best to get money out of a pension. And I've seen this done really badly. People make decisions without understanding all the possibilities and it, it's just not quite as good. That might mean when they should start drawing down from a pension, how fast to take money out and how best to take money out. And there are a number of options and choices to be made. Some of them are irreversible and sometimes you can make choices at different stages. And we're going to cover that towards the end of this season, season number three. Why do people need to hear all of this, Simon? If pensions really are that good, why do we need to be convinced of their value? I reckon there are two main reasons why people need to be convinced about the value of pensions. The first is complexity. We've already begun to hear how complex they are, and we are just scratching the surface. But the second is past experience for many people. So whilst pensions are one of the very best financial planning tools available, and it's one, as I've mentioned, the government has mandated that every employed person should have, they come with a very complex set of rules. Now, way back in 2006, when I was a much younger financial planner, 
There were eight different sets of tax rules covering pensions. And in their wisdom, and it was very sensible at the time, the government merged all these eight sets of rules into one single tax regime. It represented a fundamental shift in how the pension system worked. But it's still a very complex system. There are broadly three types of pension. And then people might have multiple pensions during their lifetime. And there are multiple ways of accessing pensions, each with different outcomes depending on your needs and your circumstances. There are rules on how much you can put into a pension each year, how much you can save in your pension over your lifetime without paying extra tax, and rules around when and how you can take money out of your pension. All these factors put people off trying to understand pensions. And, depressingly, it's really hard to find affordable advice. It's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, specs. So that's the first reason, complexity. The second reason often comes down to history. Now, I've come across many people who have a very poor opinion of pensions because their parents had a very poor experience of pensions. Now, before 2015, if you had a personal pension, this fund of money that you'd saved up, when you got to retirement and your employer kind of said, that's it, time for you to go, you were almost always forced into buying an annuity. It was the only option available to you. Now, an annuity, it means an annual payment, although you can actually take it monthly if that suits you better. So you take your pension fund and let's say it was £100,000 and you give it to the annuity provider. They would then pay you an amount of money every month for the rest of your life. Now, the problem that happened from time to time is that let's say just before you came to retirement age, the value of your pension fund drops because the stock market's just fallen. So you've got less money to buy your annuity with. Now, imagine at the same time that interest rates have gone down. Interest rates are fundamental in working out how much annuity you'll get for your money. So you get less money every year when interest rates are low. So a smaller pot buying an even smaller income, you might lose 20 or even 30% of your income for the rest of your life because of circumstances beyond your control and you can never go back and change it or fix it. Once bought, the annuity was for life. So what changed in 2015 that made pensions better now than they were then? The big shift was away from annuities to something called pension drawdown. Rather than exchanging all your money for an annuity, instead, people can keep their personal pension going, stop paying into it, but start taking money out of it, draw down. You can still access 25% of the fund tax-free, either all in one go or on an ad hoc basis or even monthly. And then the remainder is taxed as income as and when you draw it from the pension. Now, this means that if you want to, pension investors can choose when the right time to take money is, take different amounts at different times, use some of it or all of it to buy an annuity if that's what is right for them. And if there's money left over when they die, they can choose to leave it behind as an inheritance to anyone they like. All in all, pensions have become incredibly flexible as well as tax efficient. So on that note, I think it's time I went and had a look at my own pension in a bit more detail. So let's wrap up today's episode so I can go and do that. Just before we wrap up, Bex, I want to jump in and answer a biblical question that I posed many, many weeks ago. 
which is what does the Bible say about retirement? I've only ever found one reference to retirement, at least in the NIV version of the Bible, which is in Numbers 8 and from verse 24, where it says this. This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come and take part in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their usual duties and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties in the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. Now, the conclusion that I have reached personally is that retirement, from a biblical perspective, is not really your longest holiday ever. You don't stop working for the Lord and put your feet up and spend your hard-earned pension on yourself. Retirement is an opportunity when, as good stewards of what the Lord has given you, you can set aside paid employment and free up time to serve the Lord in new and different ways, and it need not be paid work. That is just my opinion, and I might well be wrong. Well, if you think Simon is wrong, or if you have a different opinion of retirement, or if any questions have come up during our journey through the world of pensions today, then please do feel free to get in touch. Or have a listen to later episodes of this practical financial planning season for details on investing and drawing money out of pensions. Next time, we'll be digging into the only other type of investment product that most people will ever need, the ISA, or Individual Savings Account. We hope you'll join us then. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.